Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Hebrews 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses. Just as the builder of a house has greater honour than the house itself, for every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house. If we hold on to our courage, and the hope of which we boast. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your ancestors tested and tried me and for 40 years I saw what I, you saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation And I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first, as it has just been said. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed? So if we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief, Chapter 4. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful 
that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we have, we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared an oath, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in those words. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest. And those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as it was said before. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For those who enter God's rest also rest from their own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul, spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. John, come and tell us what this means. Thanks, Wendy, and it's great to see your uh, dear church family gather together. As David was indicating in the prayers, we're thinking this evening about what, what kind of expectations we're living up to. So have a think about that question. What, what expectations are you trying to live up to in your life right now? Maybe, maybe you look around at work and you see colleagues who are advancing more quickly up the career ladder than you. Uh, or you compare yourself to friends who seem to have it all together in life and you don't feel like you do. Or perhaps you look around and you see uh, people who have a better dress sense than you. Uh, I'm speaking from personal experience with that one. Uh, you try, that was a joke. You try and your best to, to match, their, uh, match up with them, but by the time you kind of have chased after the latest outfit, kind of outfit they're wearing, well, they're on to the next fashion. Or maybe you're in the youth group, you might be watching this back online, and uh, you've been in the thick of exams recently. Uh, maybe you know people at school, and they just seem to have that knack of always getting better marks than you, uh, even without trying, and you're working hard. And we're trying to work, live up to other people's expectations of the round, those around us, but, but we've got to ask ourselves, how does that make us feel? If we're honest, living up to the expectations of others, it's exhausting, isn't it? 
We live in a culture that encourages us to do this, to, to live in this kind of stressful, exhausting comparison with others. And so we easily become desperate to fit in and not to miss out. But it's just so tiring. Wonderful news of tonight's passage is that followers of Jesus are promised an eternal rest. A promise that can bring us far more confidence and more security than we have if we try and place our, our trust in anything else, in, in other people's expectations or whatever it is. You see, the big point of this wonderful book of Hebrews is in essence that Jesus is better. Jesus is better, far better than all the substitutes we might put in his place. Now we think it's likely, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you'll have heard that the, the people that the author of Hebrews was writing to, uh, many of them came from a Jewish background. So before they'd heard and accepted the good news of Jesus, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, before that they'd been trusting in the Jewish ceremonies of the Old Testament for their right standing before God. And the author of the Hebrews, he writes this letter because he's concerned that they, some of them, they're going back. They're in danger of going back to the old customs, to trusting in those things, rather than staying on trusting in Christ. And so he's saying to them in this letter, keep on trusting Jesus. Remember, he's far better than anything else we, we might place our confidence, our security in. He's done that already in chapters 1 and 2. He showed Jesus is, is better than the angels. And this evening, the writer gives us a, another picture of how Jesus is better. This theme, Jesus is better, Jesus is better, Jesus is better, just keeps coming through the whole of the letter. It's a bit like seeing something from, from several different angles. All the while, he's focusing our gaze on different aspects of, of Jesus to see he's better than, than anything else we might put in his place. Now, that is the tendency of our hearts. It's certainly the tendency of my heart to, to put things above, of Je above Jesus. And that is why, that's why he's writing this passage in particular. So here's our, our first and our main point. This is where we're going to spend most of our time this evening. He says to us through these words tonight, God says to us, Watch out, preferring anything else over Jesus is spiritually dangerous. Watch out. Anything else over Jesus is spiritually dangerous. Here's how chapter 3 begins. It begins with a challenge to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. That comes in verses 1 to 6. We're not going to look in them in detail, but, but look at verse 1 with me. It gives us the theme of those verses. He writes, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He says, fix our thoughts, fix your thoughts on Jesus. The idea is of paying close attention to him, fixing our eyes on him, so that we don't veer off course in our Christian lives. And you and I need that. We need to keep on fixing our eyes on him because we so easily drift off. Just focus on other things. Think that other places will give us satisfaction. And as chapter 3 continues, the author, he, he wants us to see that danger clearly. So he, he reminds them, to, to show this danger, he reminds them of a story from the Old Testament, a story of the unfaithfulness of God's people. This is a key moment in their history, uh, and it's what he's talking about when he quotes from uh, Psalm 20, uh, 95. Uh, so in verses 7 to 11, if you're looking at it, he's quoting from, at length from that psalm. 
And those verses of that psalm, they're really a, a summary of what went wrong when God's people, they'd come out of Egypt. Remember our series in Exodus, people delivered out of Egypt, uh, experienced an amazing deliverance with, from God, where they see God act in history for them to bring them out of slavery and to promise them the promised land. And as the story continues in the Old Testament, they get to this point where, where God, is, God tells Moses to send an advance party to, to spy out the land. Uh, they come back, they say, look, it really is as good as God said. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. But the messengers who've gone ahead, they, they then say, don't, don't try and go into the land. The people will defeat us. So God, he's acted, he's, he's given them these previous acts of deliverance, They've, uh, but then they follow those false messengers. They said they don't trust that God will deliver them. They don't trust that he really will bring them into the promised land. And so God doesn't enter, allow them to enter the land. That's what we hear in verse 11, quoting Psalm 95. God said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. We're meant to think, how has it gone so wrong? God's people, he's promised this, this promised land to them, and yet they're not able to enter. Why? Well, the author says it was because of unbelief or disobedience. Those two words in our passage this evening, they go hand in hand. Do look with me. First, verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. He's saying when people have sinful, unbelieving hearts, when they refuse to trust God, that leads to a turning away from him, from the living God. And that's disobedience. We see that also in verses 18 and 19, if you glance down. He writes, And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. He's saying the people didn't enter, the Old Testament people didn't enter the promised land, at those, that first generation who came out of Egypt, they didn't enter because of their disobedience, because of their refusal to believe that God really could provide all that they needed, that he really could satisfy them. And that refusal to, to believe God's promise, it showed that they had, had swallowed the age-old lie, the lie that goes right back to the fall in Genesis 3. is the lie that you can find true satisfaction true confidence and security in life outside of God. And so here's why the author is including this, this story from the Old Testament. It's, it's meant to function as a warning to his readers and as a warning to us this evening of the dangers of buying that age-old lie, of thinking that we can find genuine, true satisfaction outside of God. He was writing to them and he, he's saying to us this evening, watch out preferring anything else over Jesus is spiritually dangerous to you. In other words, don't buy the lie that there is anything else that can truly satisfy you more than Jesus. And I wonder what that, how that danger tracks for you right now. What things, what people are you tempted to believe can satisfy you more than Jesus this evening? Put it another way, is there... Is there anywhere in your life, apart from Jesus, where you're trying to get your security from? Where in your life do you not really believe that you can trust Jesus? Where are you looking somewhere else than him for your security? 
two weeks ago, Tom, uh, who came with that wonderful group from uh, Croydon Vineyard, he used the example of, of a bowling ball. You, you throw the ball, it often looks like it's headed for the middle, middle uh, it looks like it's headed for that pin, and yet very quickly it drifts off. And Tom helped us to see there's that, always that danger for us in our Christian lives, of us being a bit like those bowling balls. We know deep down that Jesus can provide all that we truly need, but, but very often we find it hard to believe that, and so we, we kind of drift off as we try and find our security elsewhere. And I wonder what that is for you. Again, it could be, it could be in trying to live up to other people's expectations, like, like we thought about as we began. It could be in particular relationships. It could be in your career, in our career, in the, in the purchase or the refurbishment of a home. It could be in the drive for success in your life, whatever, whatever that looks like for you. Where in your life this evening do you not really believe that you can trust Jesus? Where are you looking somewhere else than Jesus for satisfaction, for security? Now, all of us face this danger, and so the passage is going to go on to show that all of us need to watch out. This danger tracks just as much for me as it does for any of us here. I face the danger, and my guess is that you do as well. And that is why, that is why the author of the Hebrews tells us that we need one another. Do look with me at what he says next, verses 12 and 13. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart, that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Notice he's speaking to the whole church. He's speaking to all who are claiming to follow Jesus in the church, and he's saying to them all together, watch out. Watch out, not just for yourselves, but watch out for one another. Verse 12, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. In other words, watch out for the danger of unbelief in one another. Remember what we've seen from that Old Testament warning. Unbelief, it means preferring anything else over Jesus. It's refusing to believe that Jesus really is the deepest treasure that we need. It's looking for satisfaction elsewhere. That's what unbelief means here. And we've been told, we're being told, look, watch out for that in one another. Help to protect each other as brothers and sisters from this kind of unbelief, from not believing that Jesus really can satisfy you. Now, that's one of the many reasons why we can't be solo Christians, as it were. We need to have brothers and sisters in our lives, people who know us well enough that they can say to us, Jesus is better. Jesus is better, better than that thing that you're trying to find satisfaction in right now. I love some of the, the Christian friendships that have built up for me over the years. Deeply precious. People from Theological College, people from my home church, and now people here at Emmanuel. Love being in the ministry team, the leadership team, our small group, other Christian friendships here. A church family that, that loves me enough, I pray that you would love me enough that you would tell me you're drifting off if you saw that happening. You're drifting off after something else that's not Jesus. So let me ask you this evening, do, do you have brothers and sisters in the church family like that? People who know you well enough that they could say to you, Jesus is better. 
Jesus is better than that thing we're trying to find satisfaction in. People who can be, as it were, barriers on that, that bowling alley to keep the ball of your life from, from drifting completely off the course. I need that. And I, I, my guess is that you need that as well. See, if you, if you don't have any brothers and sisters like that around you at Emmanuel, it could be that you're, uh, you're introverted and you find that hard, and that's, that's okay, we get that. We'd love to help you with that, to, to get to know people uh, who would help you. But, but it could also be, for some of us, that, that it's coming from an attitude where we're saying to ourselves, look, I can do the Christian life basically on my own. I can keep my eyes focused on Jesus. I have the deepest treasure of my life on my own. But you can't do that. I can't do that. The, the very way that God has set things up to have church families, he's ordered things in such a way that we need one another as brothers and sisters. And that is one of the reasons why we, why we talk a lot, maybe not as much as we even should, about small groups, home groups. That's why we encourage everyone in the church family to be in a small group, a place where you can uh, make these kind of Christian friendships close enough to speak into one another's lives. Uh, maybe that you've been planning to join a group for a while, but it just keeps on falling down the agenda. And if that's you, please, please can I urge you, even this evening, you can come and talk to me, to Natasha, to John, uh, someone else on the ministry team. We'll get you into a group. Because you and I need brothers and sisters need people to say to us, look, you're drifting off. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's better. We need our brothers and sisters, and our brothers and sisters also need us. So let me also ask us this evening, not only are we, are we getting people around us who can speak into our lives, but are we willing to do that as well? Do you care about the spiritual growth of your church family? I wonder what you what you could do yourself in the coming week to be a spiritual support uh, in the coming weeks, a spiritual support maybe within your home group, with other Christian friends in the church family. But that's our main thing for this evening. Watch out, watch out. Preferring anything over Jesus is spiritually dangerous. And because of that, here's our, our briefer point for this evening. Take care that you enter God's promised rest. Take care that you enter his rest. That's the, the author's big point in, in chapter 4. Uh, he's talking about the future in chapter 4, after Jesus returned to judge the world, uh, where there's going to be an eternal rest, an eternal celebration in the presence of the living God for everyone who's trusted in him. We're, we're delighting in that in our morning services at the moment through the end of the book of Revelation. Do tune in uh, to that and, as we think together about the glories of, of eternity to come. And the author to Hebrews, he's talking about that here, but he's, he's worried as he writes that some people he's writing to are in danger of missing out, of missing out on that eternal rest. Look with me at where I'm getting that from. Verse 1, chapter 4, where he says that the promise of entering God's rest still stands. And then he says in verse 2 that, that his listeners, like the Israelites in the desert, they've heard the good news of God's saving acts, but unlike those Israelites... Uh, the ones who fail to trust God, he says, no, you believe, trust God, that, he, that Jesus really is better. Trust Jesus and enter God's rest. And then in the following verses, he quotes again from that Psalm 95 to show that the promise of rest was not, a, not just confined to God's people in the promised land. No, it's a promise for today. 
You see, God has always intended for, for people to be with him in the perfect future eternal rest he promises. That is why we hear this in verses 9 to 11. This is the summary, really, of this part of chapter 4. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So God is promising here, he's promising this Sabbath, this eternal rest. Now as Christians now, in, in the here and now, we do enjoy some, some aspects of spiritual rest. Uh, we rejoice that we don't have to earn God's favor, God's approval. We're freely forgiven by Christ. We're, we're a child of God. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. We've sung. Those things can bring us wonderful rest, rest to our souls in the here and now. But, but mostly this, this Sabbath rest that he's talking about, it's the future. It's about what it will be like when Jesus returns, when we, we live with God forever. It's pictured in the Bible almost as a great party, a celebration where, where God's the host, where heaven's the venue, and where it lasts forever. Far better than the best party we could ever dream up. And so the author here, he's saying, look, don't miss out on that rest, on that eternity. The warning's so urgent, he repeats it time and again through these two chapters. Chapter 3, verse 7. Chapter 3, verse 12. Chapter 4, verse 1. And here again in verse 11. See, he's saying to us again and again, in different ways, don't miss out on that wonderful future, on that eternal party. Don't buy the lie that you can find your satisfaction, your ultimate rest, security, satisfaction anywhere else than in God. Don't be like the people in the wilderness who had, they'd seen God's amazing acts, but they refused to trust him. People who, who, could, who hear about, maybe even who sing about Jesus' sacrifice and yet have never actually trusted him. Now some Christians have read uh, these warnings in the book of Hebrews. And it's, it's possible to read them and to become anxious, thinking maybe, it's, maybe, maybe these warnings are implying that it's possible for me to lose my salvation. And I'm happy to chat more about this to anyone afterwards. But let me just briefly say, I don't think that's what's being said in these verses. Remember, that we've got wonderful promises elsewhere in the Bible that those who've trusted in Jesus, Jesus keeps. John 10, my sheep hear, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Or Romans 8, there is nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Once someone is truly saved, they're always saved. But I think what these verses are doing is that they are a warning addressed to a people who are a mixed bag of people. You see, in this church, it's likely there were some people who, who were genuine followers of Jesus and others who gave the impression that they were people who were part of the congregation. Uh, maybe even they gave off signals to others that they were following Jesus, but over time it became clear that they weren't. They never truly believed that, they never truly believed that Jesus was the ultimate source of satisfaction. They never truly trusted in him, asked for his forgiveness for their sins, received the gift of eternal life. And so he addresses this war these warnings to these people, not knowing all of their hearts, he didn't know all of their hearts, and so he wanted this warning to go to them. If anyone hadn't trusted, if anyone hadn't yet entered this rest, 
verse 11. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish. There were people he was writing to. They'd never truly placed their trust in Jesus. So they'd never received the gift of this this eternal rest, beginning now but but going on forever when, when Jesus returns. And it may be that there are it may just be that there are one or two here tonight for whom that is true. It might be that you're you've been resting up to this point in your life, you've been resting in something other than Jesus to save you. Perhaps it's that you were brought up in church, and so you've been saying to yourself, I've always gone to church. I must be okay with God. Or you would think of yourself basically as a good person because you've never done anything you would regard as truly awful. Or you give your time, your money to charity, even even to the church here, and assume you must be therefore accepted by God. Here's the issue with that. None of those things can save you. See, these warnings in in this passage, they're warnings to take seriously. It's, It's possible to give the impression to others, even at times to ourselves, that we're following Jesus. But those verses at the end of the passage talk about how God's word is living and active, how, how God judges the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. He, he sees our hearts. And so he knows our hearts this evening. He knows if, if we've truly trusted in him, if he knows also if we're saying we have. But really deep down we know that we never have. The wonderful good news, if that is you this evening, if you never tr- quite trusted him, verse 7, today, today, If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today, tonight, if you confess your sins, your rejection of God, trying to get satisfaction elsewhere, even today, if you trust in him, then you can receive that certain promise of entering God's eternal rest. The promise of being accepted by him and living in his glorious presence forever. Watch out. Preferring anything over Jesus is spiritually dangerous. So take care that you enter God's promised rest. I'm going to invite the band up now and we're going to uh, enter into a time of responding to what God has been teaching us. We're going to do that in the words of our our next song. Uh, It won't be familiar to all of us, but it's easy to pick up. It's a song that uh, is going to Cause us to fix our eyes on Jesus. We'll sing that in a few moments. Prayer ministry is also going to be available. It would be lovely um, if prayer ministry could start even from now. Uh, That would be great. Just during this next song, uh, prayer ministry will be open. Uh, Maybe there are things that uh, we want to ask for prayer for in confidence, uh, that the Lord, things the Lord's been laying on our hearts, or maybe something we've brought with us, a burden we're carrying. And then as we continue to respond, we're going to take Uh, bread and wine, uh, remembering Jesus' sacrifice to bring us this eternal rest. So these are very appropriate words from our next song, uh, from what we've been hearing this evening. The song begins, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We can easily drift away 
from having our ultimate confidence or security in Jesus. Let's remember this evening that, that anywhere else other than Jesus, it's exhausting to live out of other people's expectations. Whatever it is that you're trying to get satisfaction in that's not Jesus, ultimately it can't satisfy. So we remember the wonderful good news of this passage this evening. We don't need to place our confidence in any of those things. We have an eternal rest, an eternal satisfaction. Maybe, maybe we need to remember this evening, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than that thing that I've been chasing after. Where in your life do you need to, to say to Jesus, help me to trust you, that you really are better than that thing? Tonight is an opportunity to, to ask Jesus to build your faith that he really is better. That's why we're also going to sing these words. Jesus, to you we lift our eyes. Jesus, our glory and our prize. We adore you, behold you, our saviour ever true. Oh Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. Maybe you've been challenged to think about your part in the spiritual health of those around you. It might be that this evening you know someone in your small group, another Christian brother or sister here at church who, who you're worrying is drifting spiritually. Maybe you can see things in their life which you think they might be preferring over Jesus. Well, these words again are for you this evening. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness with that in mind perhaps you could resolve this evening that you will you'll gently and lovingly point out to your brother or sister that thing that that they're preferring over Jesus that it can't bring them true satisfaction that only Jesus can Maybe you could pray for that brother or sister during this next song and pray that God would, God would use you to help them treasure Jesus above everything else. Or it may be lastly that you, you've realized as you hear about this eternal rest that you've, you've never actually opened the door to Jesus. You've never actually said to him, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for living as if I can get satisfaction elsewhere. I'm sorry for turning away from you. Sorry for living my life without you. And as the passage says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So tonight, right now even, you might, if you've realized that's true for you, you might say to God in the silence of your heart, Jesus, please come into my life and forgive me. The words of our song also say, turn your eyes to the hillside where justice and mercy embraced. There the Son of God gave his life for us and our measureless debt was erased. So if that's you, your, your measureless debt can be erased this evening. You can receive this promise of eternal rest if you trust in Jesus. So Father, we pray that you would, you would come and meet with each one of us now. That as we sing this song, you would indeed ask, cause us to turn our eyes to you, to your son. That anything else that we're preferring over him would, would take its right place in our lives. That we would see that Jesus is better. 
and help us to be a church where we, where we help one another to see that Jesus is better in a world where so much else cries out to us. We want your help. We need your help to, to build our faith, to believe, to really believe that Jesus is better than all of those things. So would you stand and we're going to sing together and turn around. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.